Well, all right, come on back, and uh, we're going to turn to chapter 25 of the book of Psalms, chapter 25, as we keep studying through the Psalms, and we're praying as we do, that the Lord just continues to grow in our fellowship, a culture of worship and praise and adoration as we look at these Psalms. Um, Abraham Lincoln said this once, I've often been driven to God by the overwhelming sense that I had nowhere else to go. Let me read that to you again. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, I have often been driven to God by the overwhelming sense that I had nowhere else to go. And I just wanted you to think about this uh, for a minute. Just think about the life of David for a minute. I won't get them all, so you can chime in and, or write these down uh, later or think about this later. If you study the life of David, think about it. He grew up in a family in which he could have been, maybe sometimes thought, he was overlooked. You ever thought about that? He was just the youngest little guy. No one even thought about him when it was time to fight. Uh, the big giant. I want you to think about that. He was had the possibility of being a person who could have been devastated by the fact that he was overlooked as a child, maybe. And you know, as he grew up and started to do the things that he did, you know the stories. Think about some of the things that David had to handle or deal with. Like, for instance... Going to work for a boss, or whatever, however you want to say it, and being completely and utterly misunderstood and betrayed by that boss. In fact, having the boss having jealous feelings towards him tried to kill him. You ever had a boss that bad? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Somebody better edit the tape. <laughs> But think about it, maybe misunderstood as a kid, uh, he uh, goes to, to work or goes to help King Saul and he's very misunderstood and there's jealousy and, you know, he's sort of naive about, not naive, but, you know, uh, and, 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 and that could have been really a big wedge in his life, a big sticking point in his life. And you know some of the things that happened to him after he was the, was the king, after he was the promised king. In fact... I mean, he did things like counted the number of people in battle. Do you remember that? God scolded him for it. Not only did he scold him for it, he sent a plague on the people. How would you like, how would you like it if that came down uh, your, uh, because of your decisions? That'd be tough. And of course, he lost a child. And he had amazing catastrophic, terrible moments of weakness and walking in the flesh with adultery and, and you know, killing of, of, of one of his officers. And, and you know, he, was, he had dysfunction sort of in his family. And his son turned on him and people mocked him as he was thrown out of his own city, you know. I mean, these are the things that David is dealing with, and many, many more. I'm just scratching the surface here. And these come out in the Psalms. In fact, in the Psalms that we're going to look at tonight, 25 through 30, 
we don't really know much about the circumstances. We could surmise or guess or can, you know, uh, guess when they happened, but we don't know much about the circumstances, which is really interesting to me because that means David just was in everyday life being used by the Lord to pen these poems and songs. Isn't that interesting? And so we're going to continue to, to look at this and start in Psalm 25, which is called a Psalm of David. And the thing that you want to know about Psalm 25, I think the first thing what you want to know is you don't read Hebrew and neither do I, but this is one of the acrostic Psalms. One of the acrostic Psalms, uh, Psalm 9, Psalm 10, Psalm 25, 34, 37, 111, 112, and 119. So an acrostic psalm, it's using the alphabet of, uh, of the Hebrew language. There's 22 letters in the alphabet, I think, in the Hebrew language. So this acrostic doesn't quite add up because it only uses 21. But nevertheless, why in the world would the Lord, through his people that he inspired, use acrostics? Why? Well, it's easy to think of one reason, right? So these people could remember, yeah, remember, and to sing, they could sing this and remember the songs, and that was big, uh, but also, too, in a sense, it's saying, Lord, you cover everything from A to Z. No, they don't have A to Z, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> and the Lord used poems. So, so interesting that the Lord would do that. Well, here, a Psalm of David in... Uh, uh, Psalm 25, and it says this. And I want to just think about this. As a person who could have been fractured by his upbringing, who could have been fractured in his quote-unquote work life, who could have been fractured from some of the decisions that he had to make that came down heavy on other people. Think about that. To losing a child, to having these catastrophic failings with the Lord. And in this time, you know, there's a lot of different theories about when this happened. We won't get into that. But something's happening where he's, you know, um, facing enemies. Who likes to face their enemies? And he's facing enemies. And this is a psalm about when life gets dis difficult. And this is a psalm that you would read. Listen to this now. This is interesting. If you wanted to learn how to be led by the Lord, this is a psalm that you'd read in the middle of very difficult circumstances. And the first thing that David says is he lifts up my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And the question that has to be asked, and this is an interesting question, are you willing to surrender all, to submit and be submissive, and to wait upon the Lord, see, because that what's, that's what it means to lift up my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oftentimes, in very difficult circumstances, when we're panicked and angry and hurt and sorrowful, we're not really willing to lift up our soul. What we're willing to do is not to wait on the Lord. What we're willing to do is to maneuver, uh, manipulate the circumstances so that you can get your 
circumstances back into a better uh, view than what they currently are. That's what we want to do. It's tough for us for some reason, at least it is for me, to lift up my soul in difficult circumstances. But here, nonetheless, that's what David is doing. And it shows us why David is a man after God's own heart. It's not because David's a perfect saint. He certainly isn't. It's because David keeps short accounts with the Lord and keeps running back to him. And here he lifts up his soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Show me your ways. There's this thing in us. It's called our flesh. It rails against the spiritual. It battles against the spiritual. In times of trouble or distress or despair or danger or loneliness or brokenheartedness or regretfulness or fear or any of those things or panic, oftentimes it's not what we pray. Show me your ways, O Lord. Lord, how would you like me to walk? Teach me the path you want me to walk in and lead me in your truth and teach me. See, I don't think that we oftentimes are teachable people at these times. We fly off the handle, we panic, we cry, nothing wrong with crying. We scream and we kick our feet and say, Lord, this is so unfair. And there are times of that. David has, it, has these times too, but David gets to the point where he's willing to be taught and teachable. For you are the God of my salvation, and I'm going to wait on you all the day. Now, we're going to talk about what wait means in a few psalms or next psalm, but waiting is not being passive. It's quite the opposite. Instead of thinking about waiting like wait for 30 seconds, think about what you do when you go into a restaurant. Somebody waits on you. You get it? There's a big difference. Anyway, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness. David was very good at praying according to the character of the God that he knew. By the way, where do you think David came to know the Lord so intimately? In the shepherd fields, in the lonely times, in the times that he was by himself, just he and the Lord, the times that he was taking care of those mind-numbing, stinky sheep. The worst job in the world, some people might think, and yet God used it to raise up a king. So he knew all about the tender mercies and his loving kindness. And remember, last time I taught, last week Xander did and did a good job, but we talked about hesed. That's what this word is, hesed. Get to know what hesed means. Hesed is almost indescribable. There's no such word in the English. It's loving kindness and kindness and patience all wrapped into one. In fact, in Psalm 63, uh, he says, the psalmist does, that God, your loving kindness is better than life. Wow, he came to know that. 
Why? Your, your loving kindness, for they are from old. Don't remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. See, he was praying good prayers. He was praying according to the character of God, not according to his character. For your goodness sake, O Lord, do these things. Good and upright is the Lord. He teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. It's funny. We think of being directed and led by God. Listen to this one now. We think of being directed and led by God in terms of like, what are we going to do for a career? Who is God going to bring me as a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend? What friends am I going to have? What college am I going to go to? God thinks about uh, what paths are, are leading his people according to godly character. We think about it about changing our circumstances. The Lord thinks about leading you according to molding and shaping you in godly character. He says it right here. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. You get that? Man, I don't know. Does it matter whether you go to Yale or Harvard or MIT? I don't know. I mean, but while you're going there, it certainly matters who you are. <laughs> to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity for it's great. Now, you can see here how to be led by the Lord. You'd be a teachable person. You'll, you're to be an, a person who understands that the paths of the Lord are more concerned about your Christ-likeness than where you're going necessarily. And to be led by the Lord means there's confession, keeping short accounts with the Lord. Pardon my iniquity, for it's great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? That's the right attitude, fearing the Lord. Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity or be in peace, and his descendants shall inherit the, the, the earth. Now watch this. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show him his covenant. Spend time in the word, folks, and you're going to receive the secrets of the Lord. This has had such a big impact. This is one of the big impact scriptures in my life. When I first moved to Pittsburgh, I was driving here. I hesitate to tell you because I'm going to tell you about a moving violation. But I was driving here from Columbus one time without Jan. I was coming over to check things out. We were, I was driving from Columbus, and I actually had my little Bible up on the steering wheel. And it was about 6 o'clock in the morning, nobody out in there, and I was just driving, and I got to this verse, and I went, I can't believe this. How can this be? The only people that share secret, secrets with one another are people who love one another and trust one another and are close. You see, up to that point, that's not what my Christian life was like. My Christian life was like, <laughs> he's way up there and I'm way down here. And it shocked me. It stunned me. I jolted me. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. He reveals to you his things that he wants to reveal to people who are close according to his word or his covenant. His eyes are ever toward the Lord. In other words, if you want to be led by the Lord, spend lots of time in the word. My, and I just wonder, I'm just going to ask you, did you spend time in the word today? Or did you get up and just go? And it's not something to be guilty about or not to be, but it's this. 
If you want to be close to the Lord, here are the things to be led by him. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Look, when you're stuck or you're caught, you ever felt stuck? You ever felt caught? Your wheels are spinning and you feel like life is just life and nothing and nowhere, and you're caught and you're stuck. And the Lord says, he'll pluck you out of such a place. If you'll do this, if you'll turn to me and have mercy on me, Lord, if you'll just come and have mercy on me, for I am, look at this, dry or desolate and afflicted or sick. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. I mean, this, David here is like just telling it like it is. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. In other words, I can't get the past out of my mind. Consider my enemies for they're many and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. So this is telling you this psalm, and I'm, I know there's one more verse, but this psalm is telling you how to be led by the Lord. You ever thought to yourself, oh, I want to follow the Lord. Well, David just showed you what to do to be led by the Lord. And then he finishes out with this, redeem Israel. That's that word that means redeem from bondage by purchase. And you know the famous, famous example of that in the Old Testament when Boaz redeemed Ruth. That's that word right there. He's the redeem, redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. That's what the Lord does for us. He redeems us out of all our troubles. You say, well, wait a minute. I still live in this world and I still have troubles. Yes, but now you have access to supernatural peace and love and strength and God's presence. You don't have to go into some tent or building to be in the presence of the Lord. You can come into the presence of the Lord because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have access 24-7. It's incredible. Now look here, we go on to Psalm 26. 26, 27, and 28, the chapters or the Psalms show us David's love for the sanctuary. For the sanctuary. You say, oh, really? Okay, well, let's think back about what David's sanctuary was at the time uh, or at the time that he's writing these or in, in, in the Old Testament times. You know, in David's day, it wasn't the temple who built the temple? Solomon, right. Solomon built the temple. Solomon's who, according to David? His son. So that doesn't happen yet. But in David's day, there was a tabernacle up on Mount Zion. What's the difference between a tabernacle and a temple? A tabernacle is not a permanent structure. It's a tent. And inside the tent and all that sort of thing, you know this, there's the Ark of the Covenant. Understand? And that goes in one area, the back room of the, uh, the tabernacle, which was called the Holy of Holies. But remember this, God didn't allow David to build the temple. Why? Because he was a man of war. Remember that? So you could look at it in 2 Samuel 7. But he did give David, some of you builders might like this, he did give David plans for the temple. And then David didn't whine and cry because God gave him a different role. Remember this. This is really powerful to me. David could have stamped his feet, cried. No, you know what he did? 
He accepted his role. And what was the role? Okay, go uh, raise um, funds, or not really funds, the spoils of battle that brings great wealth to provide material to build the temple. And you can look at that in 1 Chronicles 22 and 28 and 29. So, uh, we're on to Psalm 26. And this is interesting. Look at this prayer. Would you be brave enough to pray this prayer? I think you would by the blood of Christ. Lord, vindicate me. In other words, Lord, I want you to judge me. I don't want people to judge me or even Christians to judge me or other folks, but I want you to vindicate me, O Lord. You judge me. For I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Be careful, but... Here's what he's saying. I have a clear conscience before you, Lord, and I would prefer that you judge me. Now, on one hand, you could see how David could get real cocky here. Take heed lest you fall, Corinthians tells us. But on the other hand, I want you to catch this for you people pleasers. Raise your hand if you're a people pleaser. Yeah, if you're a people pleaser. Here's what David says. Forget the other people. I want to be judged by the Lord. I want to please the Lord. I want to do the things that I do in my life for the Lord so that I can have a clear conscience before the Lord. So it's not that I don't love other people or other things, but I I derive all that I am and all that I want to be from the Lord. So when God judges me, it leads to a real freedom from what others think. You get it? So vindicate me, O Lord, because some people believe as that tabernacle was up on the uh, uh, Mount Zion and people were coming and worshiping, some people believe, you can take this for what you will, some people believe they were uh, often officers of the court and people of David's court would hear some of the things that the people would pray and oftentimes some of the things that the people would pray would be against the king would be a misunderstanding of something that the king would do or have or say. And so it wasn't fair in some places. And David didn't have all the opportunities to address every worshiper's um, concern. You get it? That's a tough place to be as a leader when you're misunderstood and you're doing things that you know is right and others are talking. And here David says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. How about this? Go on to two. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes. And here's a uh, good thing uh, for us to do, for all Christians to do, not just the king, uh, not just King David, and that's this, is to get to that place where we want to please the Lord and live for the Lord and have his Uh, approval in the things that we do and not man's approval. And also, secondly, that we would have an open and transparent life. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me and try my mind and my heart. And that's interesting because David says, I don't want you to just try my actions. Folks, we can do a lot of stuff with crappy attitudes. (laughs) And here David says, I want you also to try my mind and my heart for your loving kindness is also before my, my, uh, uh, before my eyes. And I, I think you should mark this down and remember this. A man or a woman will do things 
for love or in response to love that they won't do in response to fear. Fear is a weird motivator. Some people use it, but see, the Lord motivates according to his love. Isn't that interesting? For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I always tell this story. I used to teach a Bible study out in Beaver Falls, and I'd get so tired, and I'd be there till 11 o'clock at night. I'd get home about 11. It was on a Tuesday night, and I always remember it was Tuesday because Tuesday was trash night. And I can always remember getting, uh, driving down 51, you know, long day, I'd been at work downtown all day, driven out to Beaver Falls, done a Bible study, hung around, talked, and I always just think to myself, man, I hope those boys put those trash cans out. I just really, at 11 o'clock at night, don't want to drag, you know, the massive amounts of trash that we would accumulate with six people. And when you come around that corner, man, and you saw those trash cans down by the curb, ooh, what a great feeling. And you know what? I don't think my boys enjoyed taking the trash out or whatever, or even my daughter, but any of them enjoyed uh, taking the trash out. But why did they do it? Because we asked them, you see. They knew we had a tough day, and it was long, and they did it out of love. I didn't threaten them and say, you're going to be put away, you know, uh, on, uh, what is it? I can't even think of the word. You're not going to be grounded because of it or anything like that. It was just, could you do it, please, because I'm tired. See, that's it. The loving kindness is before my eyes, and I've walked in your truth. That's what I want to do. I want to walk in your truth. And it's not because you're like uh, an ogre over me with your thumb over me. It's because you love me. That's why I want to do it. That's the motivation of the heart of David. And that's the motivation of the Christian. I've not sat with idolatrous uh, uh, mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I've hated the assemble of evildoers, won't sit with the wicked. I'll wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell all of your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. You see, that's amazing stuff. Obedience is what a person in a life of faith demonstrates, right? A life of faith is demonstrated by the obedience that somebody has. The Lord says, you know, don't sit in the assembly of evildoers. Don't take counsel from evildoers. Don't sit with the wicked and that sort of thing. Don't be with the wicked. You know this. Many people have said it. You show me your friends and I'll show you who you're going to be. You know that. And yet the Lord calls us to be out and about uh, with uh, non-Christians. We're not to be in a cocoon. And yet the ones that we take counsel with. So why would we do it? I'll wash my hands, verse 6, in innocence. So I'll go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of your wondrous works. Isn't that neat? Uh, that's, you could write that out as the overflow of a thankful and um, loved heart that I would proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell people of your wondrous works. Loving the habitation of your house. In other words, you know, one of the things that I always find interesting is people who say they're Christians but don't want to go to church. I don't think that squares. And here, 
and, and I understand people have been burnt with some churches and all that sort of thing. And so, so I get it. And I'm not being real harsh. But I'm saying that when you become a follower of Christ, you begin to love and find fellowship where God's people meet. You want fellowship? Go where God's people meet. Be in the flow of a local church where the glory dwells. What's that mean? Well, in this uh, instance, it means the mercy seat. That's where the glory of the Lord hovered above the mercy seat. But in our instance, the glory of the Lord resides in each of you. And you're to display God's glory. So cool. So don't gather my soul with sinners, verse 9, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I'm going to walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. Now, let me ask you something. Do you want to be an unstable person or a stable person spiritually? It's funny, right? But it's not really funny. Because I think some people just like to be unstable so that people will pay attention to them. And here, look at this at the end, my foot stands in an even place. This speaks of being stable. Watch this. This speaks of being confident, but not confident in self, confident in who you are in Christ. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. Now think about it. Who's speaking? <laughs> you say, well, King David, he's, one, he's such a great man. I mean, he's the grand man of the Old Testament. I mean, come on, Tim. I mean, he's a saint. Well, he had all the same problems you and I have. Every single one, a man. Think about all the things. I just went through a few of them at the beginning of this. Lost a child. Murder. Adultery. National disgrace. Kicked out of his own city by his counselors who rebelled against him and his son. Mocked and scorned by people, you know, as he's leaving. Uh, the, the, the deaths of people on his head. Maybe he had a complex from being an overlooked one when he was a kid. No, none of that mattered as he got into the presence of the Lord. See, that's where the Lord healed him and touched him and brought him into a place of stability and confidence. Are you catching that? So beautiful. Well, here is Psalm 27. Psalm 27, as we keep on. The Lord is my light. And my salvation, we're going through the book of John right now. We know that God is light. Uh, light is a big uh, theme in the book of John. I mean, the Lord is light, and the Lord is his salvation. Whom shall I fear, he says. You know this because lots of songs about this. This is a very famous one. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me. War! War. You ever been at war with somebody? How unsettling is it? And you know you're seeing this war on TV right here. It's terrible and ter horrific. Uh, hor horrific. And this I will be confident. Now, one thing I want you to notice 
in those first three verses. I want you to just think or check in your Bible the personal pronouns. The Lord is my light, my salvation. I, whom shall I fear? He's the strength of my life. I shall be, whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my, 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 my. You get the point? See, I can sit here and tell you how to be. But till, until you go through it with the Lord, see, it goes from here to here. And you say, well, oh, okay, how does that happen? Well, there's going to be tests in your life. There's going to be tribulations in your life. There's going to be victories in your life. There's going to be joys in your life. There's going to be sorrows in your life. And the Lord's going to take you through all of those things. Listen, and he's going to be speaking to you and working with you and talking with you and walking with you personally so that you don't have to glob on to the pastor's faith or your grandma's faith or your mom's faith or your dad's faith or your wife's faith or your friend's faith or, you know, anybody else's faith, but it becomes yours. That's what it means to, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So it's the personal pronouns. And one of the things that the Lord, I think, oh boy. Can you turn this mic on here? One of these mics? Can you do this? Okay, we'll do this. And one of the things... Good? Hello? Hello? Are you good? Okay, good. Hello? One of the things I think that we need to think about, is it doing it? Da-da-da-da-da-da. Hello, hello, hello. It says this, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek. Watch this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To do what? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We, to get to the place, we could get to the place, watch this, folks, where we are one-stringed guitars, that we desire what? The Lord. Now, I want you to just think about that. Would you pray this prayer? Put it in your prayer journal. Put it in your Bible right now. Lord, help me to be single-minded. Help me to be single-minded. What are the things that distract you from the Lord? They could even be great religious things. But what distracts you from the Lord? See, David got to the place where he could say, one thing I have desired of the Lord. Who else said this? Paul. One thing. One thing. What does he seek? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What? To do what? To behold what's happening. Can you hear this? Why is it going in and out? Is it me? Okay. But here, I want to read you a couple things. David Guzik says this, David knew there was beauty in the nature and presence of God, beauty that could be perceived, watch this, by seeking the eye of, or by the seeking eye of faith, who could think of no greater occupation than to fill his mind and heart with the goodness and greatness of God. Charles Spurgeon, quoting a guy named Gray in one of his writings, says this, the character of God is attractive and fitted to inspire us with love for him. I'm going to read this to you again because I want all of us to get it. 
the character of God is attractive and fitted to inspire us with love for him and to make us, as it were, run after him. Wow. Character of God, attractive, will inspire us with love for him and to run after him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon also said this, it has been said by some that the proper study of mankind is man. I won't oppose that idea, but I believe it's equally true that the proper study of God's people is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which could ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. Good stuff, studying that. So to behold the beauty of the Lord, have you ever wondered? Well, what's the beauty of the Lord? The beauty of the Lord is his character, his nature, the goodness. And that's what you do when you come here. You inquire in his temple, for in time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. He's a protector in the secret place. He shall hide me. He shall then set me high upon a rock. Who here feels love? Don't raise your hand. You ever felt low? Yeah, we've all felt low. Look what the Lord says he'll do. He'll set you out of uh, the low places and bring you high upon the rock. And by the way, later in the next verse or chapter, Psalm 28, the Lord's called the rock. Build your life upon the rock. He'll uplift you. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. So here you want, want, you want to notice this. Enemies don't always just go away. That's not how you're lifted up. You're hit, lifted up a higher in a higher and a plane that's above the enemies. You're with the Lord, the presence of the Lord. That's what you're seeking, not great circumstances. Until we get that through our head, we'll never be peaceful and joyful. If you're only seeking after circumstances, it'll never happen because one week your circumstances are going to be great and one the next week they're not. That's life. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I love this verse, and here's why. Because you don't get the full bit here in the English. It actually says, therefore, I will offer sacrifice of joyous shouts. I'll shout. The trumpets will play. I'm going to tell everybody in my praise and worship and the way that I talk and my life how thankful I am. I'll sing. I'll sing praises to the Lord. And now here, most people, uh, commentators agree that the psalm shifts from an exuberant declaration of faith to sort of a, a downer. It sort of ends on a downer. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face. It's funny. Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Apparently, he felt like the Lord was hiding his face. Or turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. You have been my help. Right? Um, do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smoother path. That's the same phrase as over in the prior uh, psalm when he said, 
my foot stands in an even place. So he's getting to the place of uh, stability and confidence. Don't leave me, don't forsake me. Even when my uh, father and mother, isn't that interesting? And teach me your way, O Lord, and leave me in an even or a smooth path because of my enemies. Wow. It's swirling all around him. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. Don't you love it when people talk about you? Don't you love it? Don't you enjoy that? See, David, it was always around him. He was a leader. and It was there. And such as breathe out violence. Don't you love when people are violent against you? I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want you to know, we've just gone through about two and a half Psalms, and David's anecdote for all of these problems is the presence of the Lord, his goodness, his character, his beauty. And so what I'm trying to say to you is let's all together as brothers and sisters in Christ learn how to dwell in the house of the Lord and to behold the beauty of the Lord. And how are we to do that? Well, here it is. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Don't, who needs strength, folks? I mean, who needs strength? Well, here he says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Uh, wait, like a beggar at a rich man's door. Uh, wait like a student who wants to be taught by the master. Wait uh, uh, as a traveler who's waiting for the guide's directions. Isn't that interesting? Hungry and humble and willing to learn. Here's another thing. Spurgeon said this. You want to think about waiting this way. Wait has at his door with prayer. Ready? Wait at his door with prayer. Wait at his feet with humility. Wait at his table with service. Wait at his window with expectancy. Isn't that beautiful? Don't think of waiting like waiting. Think of waiting like being a waiter. One more. Uh, Campbell, G. Campbell Morgan said, said this. To wait for God is ever to find the plain path, however rough, that path may be, however rough that path may be. Hmm. Isn't that so true? Sometimes when we pray and we know the right thing to do, but it's hard and we don't want to do it, that's waiting on the Lord, according to G. Campbell Morgan. Okay, Psalm 28, Psalm 28. And this is goes along with some of the teaching that we've been doing in the New Testament. One of the things that you, the Lord wants you to know is the thrill of answered prayer the thrill of answered prayer when you have answered prayer man write it down in your journal R remind yourself tell other people about how the lord answered your prayer not in a bragging way but in a way that glorifies the lord watch this to you i will cry O lord my rock don't be silent to me lest if you are silent to be i become like those who go down to the pit Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you. When I lift up my hands towards your 
holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve. By the way, verse 4 there is sort of, uh, you know, imprecatory. It's a psalm that, you know, is a prayer to basically get the enemy. And that's prevalent here in the psalms. Well, anyway, five, because they don't regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands. He's right. People who do evil don't uh, regard the works of the Lord. Just read Romans 1, 20 and 21. He shall destroy them and not build them up. And then watch this. Here comes the praise. Blessed be the Lord. That phrase means give the fat to the Lord. Give the best to the Lord. You know, back then, the fat of the meat was the good part. Now, we've been trained that it's not. But he's singing here, give the best to the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplications. You can just feel it right here. David's thrilled because he's answered a prayer. I want you to go back in your mind right now, right this second. I want you to go back in your mind and I want you to think about something that the Lord's answered for you on your behalf that just thrilled your socks off. How did you feel at the time? You know, uh, uh, listen, I try to, I, the only thing I know is me. So I'm just going to tell you one time, one time when I, I tell you this all the time, I ordered some comfort CDs from Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia to comfort people who were hurting. And I said, well, you know, I'm a minister. I minister to people. I need some comfort CDs around here. So I, you know, prayed and got it and prayed about it. And it's going to be so cool. I'm going to be able to give out these comfort CDs. And I remember uh, the comfort CDs came on a Wednesday. And I looked at them, and I can remember as clear as it's today. And this was in 2002. I looked at them, and I flipped them onto my counter. I just threw them over there. I said, well, this is great. I'm going to be able to minister to them. Well, my dad died the next day. And we used those comfort CDs <laughs> to minister at my dad's funeral. We played them and that sort of thing. And my point is, yeah, the Lord, I prayed about it. The Lord brought them to me. I just didn't know they were going to be for me. It was awesome. It was amazing. I can't even believe that the Lord thought even about the music that was going to be played at my dad's funeral. Amazing. And so here, the thrill of answered prayer. The Lord is my strength there in verse 7 and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. The Lord's a helper. He's not a destroyer. He helps. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices and with my song, I will praise him. And this is such the way to grow. You ever, you ever heard that prayer? Uh, the writers of the New Testament say it all the time. I pray that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the way. Watch this. In the past, my heart trusted in him, and I was helped. In the present, my heart greatly rejoices because he helped me. And in the future... I will praise him. That's the growth process right there. How to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My heart greatly rejoices. So great. And the Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. 
Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Forever, excuse me. Well, this is so great. Uh, the Lord is my strength and my shield, back, uh, back in verse 7. I just want to read you this. My dear friend, if you can say the Lord is my strength, you can bear anything and everything. You could bear a martyr's death. If the Lord should be your strength, you could bear a martyr's death. He could make a, a stalk of wheat to bear up the whole world if he strengthens it. Charles Spurgeon. Last thing I'll say about this psalm, it's so beautiful. It is a beautiful psalm and the thrill of answered prayer. And what's funny about this is that David starts out praying for himself. But did you notice what he did in the last verse? He began praying for the people of Israel who God shepherds. Listen to this. F.B. Meyer said this. Whatever is dear to the loved one is dear to the lover. You cannot love the pastor without taking uh, interest in all that interests him, and especially in the sheep of his pasture and the people of his hand. Hence, well, listen to this. When you are nearest the Lord, you are almost certain to begin pleading for his inheritance and saying, save the people, bless them, and lift them up forever. He began praying for himself. He ended up praying for the people. Psalm 29, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of the holiness. Now watch this. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. You see a theme here? The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian. That means Hermon. Like a wild ox, the voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. See, see the pattern? <laughs> and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as a king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people. Now, this is a fascinating psalm. Uh, if you looked up at uh, Revelation 10, verse 3, I'm going to go there real quick. The mighty angel with the little book, Revelation chapter 10, and he cried with a loud voice as with when a lion thunders, when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Some people believe the seven thunders are the things that we just read. The first one being a general statement, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. And then the seven are after that, the voice of the Lord is powerful, etc. And all I can say is, I don't know if that's true or not. Some people believe it. One of the things this pictures is that a big storm must have risen in the Mediterranean and came across Lebanon and North Israel, which was where Mount Hermon is, and sort of started coming down and snapping and doing things to the land. But the voice of the Lord here, you'll see, is powerful and over the waters, breaks the cedars, skips like a calf, like a young ox divides the flame. It's just 
The voice of the Lord is powerful. And I want to ask you, where do you hear the voice of the Lord? In his word. That's where you hear his word. And the Holy Spirit confirms it because he brings us into truth and righteousness and justice. And he leads us there. What a powerful psalm. Last psalm, Psalm 30. I wrote this. This is my title for this, and I want you to think about it. Be really, 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 really careful in times of prosperity. That's my title. It's easy to th uh, depend upon the Lord when we're hurting. But what about when everything's going great? This could either, either have been in uh, a time when the palace or David's palace was being dedicated to the Lord. Or that the tabernacle was being erected for the placement of the ark. Not sure which. But watch this. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You've kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at, his, at the remembrances or the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, you know this because John tells us that he's not going to replace sorrow with joy, but he's going to transform your sorrow into joy. The very thing that you sorrow over is going to become joyful to you. How can that be? It's a mystery of the Lord. It really is. Only the Lord could do that. Now, in my prosperity, I said... I shall never be moved. <laughs> Isn't that what we say a lot of times? Man, I've been to 15 Bible studies in a row. I'm doing so great. Everything's going wonderful. Prosperity, peace. Things are just looking up, man. It's just amazing how great I'm doing. We think things like this. Here's David thought the same thing. I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountains stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. See, that's the thing. Well, what happens when the Lord trusts you with his silence? Do you still sing the prosperity tune? I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Uh, will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on uh, me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness. I just want you to see something for those of us who are in the pits, who have been hurting or who have been grieving. The Lord does want to take off your sackcloth and have your dancing clothes on. He is for that. And he knows there are things that are difficult and you're struggling with. Yes, there are, but there is joy in the morning. And that's the truth. And that's what we believe. And that's what we ho uh, hold on to because the Lord is good and he will bring joy. It's, I'm never going to click up my heels and say, oh, I'm so thankful that my dad died. But you know what I do say? I've got to uh, witness to people and share with people when, when my dad died that I'd never have an opportunity since or, uh, or before or after. And that for that, Lord, I praise you and I thank you for... Uh, people knowing, you know, because I lived in Pittsburgh for a while, you know, lo knowing 
what the Lord's, do, what you're doing in our lives and being, going back there and being able to share that with people that previously I couldn't do that with. So Lord, I'm not necessarily jumping up and down that my dad's passed away, but I am saying in the middle of that, Lord, you brought joy, joyous things. It's incredible. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. My tongue, my soul, I'll lift up in praise. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And that's a great place to stop. And you're all saying amen. But think about what went on in David's life. All the things that went on in David's life and more than I mentioned. And he was able to pen and think and know and say from the bottom of his heart, oh, Lord, my God. I'm going to give thanks to you forever. How could he say that? Because he knew the character and nature and beauty of God in his holiness. And I pray that we would get to that place where we wouldn't be afraid, where we would be free from other people's opinions, where we would be able to navigate life when it gets very difficult and hard. And it does get difficult and hard. I pray for all of us that we would become single-minded. Don't you want to be single-minded? I can be like the most whatever number there is minded. I'm interested in a lot of things, but a lot of things aren't good for me. Well, let me do this. Let's pray together and we'll wrap this up. Well, Lord, thanks so much for this evening and thank you for your word. And I do pray, Lord, that you'd help us to give thanks to you forever and ever. Lord, when we get to be with you, we're going to look back on the things that we wasted our time on and say, what was I thinking? <laughs> Lord, help us now to enjoy you, to be safe with you, to be stable with you, to be on solid, stable ground, not to be wishy-washy. Lord, to derive our satisfaction and strength from you. Help us to seek out your beauty and loving kindness and keep us before our face forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.